Jesus come in Jesus' name and through his blood. As we come before you tonight, enter your gates with thanksgiving quotes of praise. We thank you, Lord, for this time together. We bless you. You alone, Lord, are worthy of all the glory. I thank you, Lord, for speaking through me everything that needs to be spoken under a mighty anointing. It'll be as living seeds of truth sown into good soil, that even now your Holy Spirit is moving upon every person that's going to be listening and watching and to give us good soil of hearts and minds and lives. And I thank you, Lord, for this going out and landing. The wind of the Spirit is going to carry this everywhere it's supposed to go. It's going to get where it needs to, accomplish what it needs to. The Bible says it will not return void. But we'll go forth and accomplish what you sent it for to do. Lord, we thank you for it. We bless you. And I thank you, Lord, that the Bible says, Jesus said the birds here try to steal the seed, but it's not going to happen. Lord, we submit this unto God. We resist the devil. In the name of Jesus, we bind anything that would try to hinder this word in any way. We command you to back off and go right now in Jesus' name. And Lord, I thank you for your angels just clearing that out. And we just bless you. And we believe as we agree together to agreeing on earth, we expect it. We thank you for everything being accomplished in and through this time of the word that your will to be done. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I tell you what, um, the devil hates sermons like this. You know what? It exposes some things and defeats him. So I'm going to deal with part two, carrying on over from last week. He teaches my hands to war, a passage where David said, not only teaches my hands to war, but fingers to fight. And remember, David was playing the harp and it cleared away those demonic things from Saul. Well, it's interesting, fingers to fight, instrumental, the power of praise and worship that drives back the darkness. So there's something there about a priestly and warrior type of uh, ministry that go together. Because some people would think, well, the worshipers and all of that, that's one thing, but warfare and deliverance and all that's a completely other thing. But actually they kind of marry together and work together. So our priestly aspect of Christianity blends together with our victory in war, and there's something about those coming together. And you see that in the life of David. He, was, he had a priestly dimension to him, even though he was of the tribe of Judah, didn't he? He was a worshiper. But also he was a great warrior. So that, that came together in his life, you see. And I believe that they're very connected. I believe the Bible bears that out. And so I'm going to deal with a few things tonight, I believe will bless you. In Acts 10.38, famous passage, says, You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power. How many knows Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit and power? We need that clothing of power, amen? And it says, He went around doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. So think about that for a moment. All, Jesus healed all that were oppressed of the devil. So I want you to look this way and give me your best here. Jesus, according to the scriptures here, it was the consensus on this scripture that when Jesus went about, he was, deal, he was destroying the works of Satan. You see what I'm saying? Sickness, demonic attack, whatever it was in somebody's life, Jesus was destroying what the devil had and clearing that out. And so he went about doing good, healing all oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Now, we need that anointing that destroys the works of Satan. You see, the anointing is what really the devil's scared of. We can, once we accept Christ as our Savior, we do become a threat, and we obviously leave Satan's kingdom and come into Christ's kingdom. I understand all of that. 
and there's a new birth. But it's an entirely different thing when you are baptized in the Holy Ghost and there's a clothing of power now, there's an anointing from the Holy One to destroy the works of the devil. That's a completely different thing. That is not just being born again. That's being anointed for service, you see. And the devil hates the anointing. And so one of the things I want to talk about tonight is, again, kind of dovetailing from last week, the great enemy is the religious spirit with regarding to what I'm preaching on anyway. And so the manifestations of a religious spirit, and I think you guys last week had, had people come in and telling me, you know, man, Pastor Scott, I got a lot out of that. I've seen that. I've experienced it. I know what you're talking about. Um, a religious spirit is serious. There's a whole class of demonic spirits that Satan has that's religious, that attacks people, Christians, religiously with legalism and all kinds of fear and control and weirdness. And the manifestations of a religious spirit can be summed up in this. Unrighteous judgment. People that have a religious spirit about them, they, they judge, but they judge unrighteously. It's not the way God is judging, you see. And that is connected to criticism. They're very critical. And uh, it has to do with fault finding. They're wanting to find... They don't like this, and so they're going to start looking until they find something that they can critically say, okay, this is wrong, that's wrong. They're fault-finding. They're looking for something. If they can't really legitimately find something, they'll twist things, they'll manipulate it, but they'll find a way to criticize and judge. And it has to do with debating. I quit messing with the debating a long time ago. Because it's, it becomes very demonic most of the time. Very, very little debating amongst Christians is of God. Very, very little. Most of it is very demonic. It's a religious spirit. It's very arrogant. And it's just a fight to see who's going to win the argument. <laughs> so people have tried to bait me into things. I just ignore them, walk off. Like on social media, you know, they want to ask questions. But they're not asking a question. They're picking a fight. It's demonic. It's a religious spirit. Don't take the bait. So what does a religious spirit attack? I'll give you some things. Um, number one, I would mention this, that the religious spirit hates the anointing of the Holy Spirit. How many knows the religious spirit hates the anointing? So anytime there's an anointing at work, I promise you, that Satan has got some kind of a religious spirit somewhere that he's wanting to send on assignment to oppose that anointing. Are y'all with me tonight? The religious spirit also hates the gifts. Tongues, prophecy, uh, discerning of spirits, faith, healing, miracles. Man, the, the religious spirit hates the gifts of the Holy Spirit. There's something about the gifts in operation that it's just, there's an electric. It's just when, when truly somebody is operating in a gift and it's really of God, you can feel that the service is going along and then the gift kicks in and they operate in that gift and it's just like an electric power, like a charge is released in that service. And it's because it's the gifts, the the gifts have to do with dunamis power, explosive power, okay? And it releases that power. Also, 
uh, religious spirit hates prayer, especially any type of deep prayer, like groaning and travailing or praying in the spirit. It hates that. The religious spirit is very much against the healing ministry, the deliverance ministry, and anything that would destroy Satan's works. The religious spirit hates that. It doesn't want to see that. It will try to discredit healing ministries and deliverance ministries. And I'm going to tell you, my wife and I come up against some of this with revival because we're, you know, such revival people. The religious spirit hates revival, hates it. And also, it's interesting, you know, my wife and I have, because of her testimony, we've always had somewhat of a deliverance type of ministry to, our, to what God's called us to do. And the religious spirit tries to put this in people's minds that whenever you start talking about those things and exposing it, even though the Bible says to do it, it says expose deeds of darkness, have nothing to do with them. The Bible's called us, Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, etc. The Bible is really clear that we're supposed to do this. Jesus taught about demons, didn't he? I can tell you scriptures. When this goes out, it wanders in dry places and tries to come back and bring seven others. He talked about demonic stuff. Jesus taught us, but yet whenever you start talking about these things, there's a religious spirit that hates that and begins to put in people's minds that you don't need to be talking about these things or that you're somehow glorifying the devil. So that's a religious spirit. A religious spirit is connected to poverty instead of prosperity. Whenever you're going to start talking about how God wants to prosper people and prosper churches and to do well and have funds to do things, giving, things like that, boy, the religious spirit hates that, hates that. It wants what the religious spirit wants. Y'all hear me, and I think this will make sense and kind of sum it up. The religious spirit wants churches to be dead and dry with no power, and it wants praise to be dead. It wants no anointing or gifts in operation, and it wants every Christian lukewarm, and Christianity to them is boring. That's what it wants. And it wants you living defeated, where you really aren't walking in victory. You're walking around like under a heaviness all the time. There's no joy. Uh, there's no life. Um, there, you know, and it wants people also, the religious spirit wants to squeeze down to where finances are suppressed and health is oppressed. That defeated thing right there I just described is the work of a religious spirit, and then other spirits will come in and join with it to basically create a structure that people are living defeated instead of victorious, okay? It hates the manifestations of the Holy Spirit, like shaking, falling, laughing, crying, any type of manifestations of the Holy Spirit. Boy, a religious spirit hates that. Also, it hates freedom in praise. I remember one time seeing the, at the ramp, you know, Karen uh, Wheaton and these guys, really powerful ministry. I love the ramp. And the Holy Spirit began to move in the praise. And all the young people were just jumping and dancing and shouting. They were free in their praise. It was awesome. You could feel the power of God. But yet, it's on the internet, so you get all these international spirit, uh, spiritual goofballs that have no clue, you know. You put it on the internet, and it's just the good, bad, and the ugly, right? It's available. And so these, a lot of these people are like, this is disgusting. This display, you know what that is? That's religious demons manifesting right there. 
hating. You know, that's the same thing that David's wife did and became barren when David simply, he wasn't naked or anything. He just took off his kingly part of it, the robe, the kingly. He threw that down before the Lord. And he, just like everybody else, now he was dressed just like a, a peasant, like everybody else. And he was out there just dancing and being free before the Lord. And David's wife stood up there and said, well, look at that, and criticized him. And what happened to her? God says she'll never have children. She'll never be fruitful. Be careful criticizing things because it really can bring spiritual problems. So the religious spirit hates that praise, hates that worship. It also hates seeing the lost coming in and getting truly saved and sanctified. And let me just warn you in regards to a religious spirit that as people get saved off the streets, because here we are praying in a harvest of souls, and it will come. And as these people start getting saved and coming in, everybody please look this way and hear me because this is important. When they start getting saved and coming in here, they're going to come in as they are. You know, you can't expect them to, to be all sanctified and, and victorious yet. They're going to come in like they are. And let me just tell you to be really careful with that, your critical look on your face and the, the critical way you can be because that can really hurt people and turn them off. I'll give you an example. And one time, Brother Steve Hill, and I've only seen him really angry a few times, but he really got ticked off at this one. I don't blame him. So apparently, some, somebody invited this, this heathen uh, rock band to come to the revival, and they came. But when they were there, you know, they looked like they looked all tatted and pierced and crazy hair and whatever else they were dressed like. And some old, religious, critical woman looks over and says to one of them, you're just an abomination to God. Well, okay. <laughs> but they're there to get saved, okay, or whatever. And she's all like that. Well, you know what? They got mad and left. So Steve gets up, and he caught wind of it and got angry and said, he said, you better pray to Jesus that I do not find out who you are that said that. Those and he said, please come back. He said, if you come back, I'll give you my seat. And I, I believe, if I remember the story right, they came back and, and gave their life to the Lord. But I don't remember the whole story. But see, that's a religious spirit right there. Telling, well, of course, they're, you know, they're like they are, but so were we at one time. Was there ever a time in your life that you were lost? And somebody could have looked at you and said, you're an abomination to God. They could have me. So, I mean, see, that's a religious spirit. And so we need to be careful that when people are coming in, they may come in just really looking rank and all that. But, you know, they need Jesus and they need people to not be critical and turn them away. And I'll tell you something, there's a story, Mike Warnke has a really powerful testimony, the Satan seller, and man, I tell you, he, he faced the devil. The enemy tried to discredit him, and anybody that's ever spoke up like him, Rebecca Brown, other people that's ever spoke up and exposed Satan like that, Satan has gone to great lengths to discredit them. But anyway, in his uh, book, The Satan Seller, which if you can find it, I recommend getting it. It's a really good book. But, you know, here he was. He was raised by an abusive, alcoholic father. I'll give you a story to show what I mean. One time his dad, for the first time, was telling him, why don't you come here and sit in my lap, son? He thought, man, you know, my dad's going to give me a hug or something because his dad was mean, a mean drunk. And so he goes up there toward his dad, and his dad, like, whacks him with a beer bottle. 
knocks him on the ground and say, here's a lesson for you, boy, don't ever trust anybody. That's the way he was raised. Okay, so you're going to turn out with problems when you're raised like that. So he ends up this heathen. He's um, on the college campus. He's doing drugs. It's back in the 60s. <laughs> he was a hippie, you know. And um, right before his life took a really nasty turn, he was riding his motorcycle down the road, all looking like hippies look. <laughs> and he sees this church having service. And so he goes up the steps to go into church, and he thought, well, you know, what if, what if God is real? What, what if this stuff about Jesus is real? And he went there out of curiosity to see, well, you know, what if something, there's something to this? And he goes up the steps, and the ushers come out there, and they're like, what are you doing here, boy? And he said, well, I'm just coming to church. And he said, no, you're not. And he said, well, I'm just coming in to to worship. I'm not trying to cause any problems. And they laughed at him and pushed him back. He fell down the steps. Listen, he got up and he like basically was like, I'll never have anything to do with you. And he turned and he turned to Satanism. You better be careful being like that with people. There's people coming to church and you know, you, you feel like you're annoyed with them or something. It can hurt them. It really can. So be careful. See, all that's a religious spirit, and religion will turn people off. Boy, I tell you, religion offers nothing. Religion is dead and dry and powerless. It is not true Christianity. It's all about works and rules, legalism. But when you truly meet Jesus, see, I love what Steve Hill used to say as well. But I'm quoting Brother Steve a lot tonight. But he used to say this. He said, people don't need the bunch of religion he said, they really, he said this, he said, I believe that they need an encounter with Jesus Christ because if they ever really encounter him, they'll never be the same the rest of their life, and that's the truth. That's why we need the power of God in our services because people come in, they don't need a list of do this and don't do that. A lot of people already know that a lot of what they're doing isn't good anyway. A lot of people already know that. But they don't need just a bunch of rules and all this measure-up stuff. What they need is an encounter with Christ and his power, you see. And that'll change him. So also the religious spirit hates God's anointed servants. Hates them. You ever notice that basically if you're going to be anointed, that there's probably going to be blogs, websites, YouTube channels, books written, all kinds of things just to attack and discredit you because of the anointing on your life. That's it. I mean, you could... Preach accurately, straight, have a solid, credible ministry, but just by the fact that you're anointed, there's going to be all these critics saying things, lying, twisting things. And they'll, they'll take like you preach a whole sermon, and they'll somehow get a little snippet out of context. And they'll take that or take a video clip and take like a 15-second snippet out of context, and then they'll use that to try to discredit the whole ministry, you see. And goofy people that don't know any better don't realize that that's actually a religious demon spirit in operation through people. Just like the Holy Spirit anoints people, demons anoint people. And these people are being used of demonic forces. And goofy people out there just listening to it, just eating it up. Yeah, look at them and getting all critical. Careful. And also a religious spirit, like I said, hates revival. 
All right, so let me just read something here, and I'm going to kind of bring this all together in the end, but Hebrews 6, 1. Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. So foundational here is repentance of sin and faith toward God. Very foundational. So let me say that again. That's why it's so important to preach against sin. I went to Finland, I believe it was 2004. Brother Steve Hill, they called, sent a small group of us out there kind of representing him in Finland. It was a great honor. And me and another guy preached there. There was thousands of young people. It was pretty neat. And I remember, you know, they invited Steve Hill's ministry. So anybody that knows even a little bit about Brother Steve knows how he preaches in, in the Brownsville Revival and all that. And, and so I just simply preached a pretty typical message that was this. Basically, repentance from sin, faith toward God. But it was repentance of sin and preaching against sin. Well, I mean, a lot of young people, hundreds, maybe thousands. There was a lot of young people there, thousands. But a lot of them flooded the altars to get things right with God. And we went through praying for, I don't, we spent so long praying for young people. I mean, there were so many of them there. There was only a couple of us. It seemed like hours. Young people just all over this massive tent under the power of God. But at the end of it, after all these young people came down to get saved, get things right with God, they were bringing up to the platform, whether it be drug paraphernalia, condoms, pornography, all kinds of stuff they were getting rid of. And then the power of God coming down, you know, I faced the devil. There was even a write-up about me in the, in the magazine there. I faced the devil by who? It wasn't the young people and it wasn't the sinners. It was a religious Pharisee Bible school teacher that hated the message and hated what was going on. I, I feel greatly honored that they would waste their time attacking a nobody like, you know, but they, it wasn't me so much. It was the message. It was the message of repentance and the fires of revival that that religious spirit hated that. And the guy that invited us got some flack for it and got mad at me. And I'm like, well, you can just get over it, buddy, because I'm not apologizing for that message. And I'm not apologizing for what God did. I think to this day, he don't like me. <laughs> oh, whatever. I sleep good at night. All right, so anyway, um, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and faith toward God. Or look at this, verse 2, or instruction about washings. You know what that is? Baptisms. And it's interesting, and this is so sad to me, if people in the body of Christ really understood the Hebrew roots of our faith, instead of Constantine shifting it around 300 AD to a Roman Catholic thing, and we, we are... Uh, you know, the Reformation came out of Catholicism, so there's still so much Roman Catholic roots, so to speak. If people really understood our Hebrew roots, really, they would understand more about washings and the power of it. But 90% of churches out there, water baptism is a dead, dry religious ritual, no power, nobody's getting healed in it, nobody's getting delivered. It's some little religious once-in-a-lifetime thing or maybe something you do as a kid, they don't understand about it. There's so much more to it than that. Also, the laying on of hands. How, the, did you read here with me that it says, therefore, leaving the elementary teaching? Did y'all notice that? 
Did you notice the religious spirit has a lot of places not preaching against sin? And they don't understand washings. And look at this, the laying on of hands. The laying on of hands is an elementary teaching of Christ. Yet so many places you go, you're never going to see people laying on the hands on the sick and seeing them recovered, nor anoint them with oil. You're not going to see that. You're not going to see them casting demons out or anything or praying for people to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. This is an elementary teaching. And about the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we do if God permits, for if, for if it is possible, in the case those who have once been enlightened. So he goes through something I read last week, but I want to focus on verse 5. And have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. Have you ever thought about the fact that the gifts of the Spirit are referred to also as the powers of the age to come? Wow. Isn't that something? So the powers of the age to come, that by the Holy Spirit, somehow we can get from him information that there's no way we should know this except from God. See, the powers of the age to come, I think about uh, things like tongues and interpretation. There's been times that my wife and I pray together at night before we go to bed, but there's been a few times where the Holy Spirit just gave me a message in tongues and interpretation, and it really helped us or really exposed something. A lot of times people don't realize this because we're all just caught up in worship and we're just worshiping the Lord. And, but as Brianna's leading worship and she begins to sing in the Spirit, and then after that, she begins to sing in English, and you feel that just that surge of power, you know what, she probably doesn't even realize that she's doing this, really. She's giving a message in tongues and interpreting it. But also, there is a prophetic element. Man, I've seen it so powerfully, where the Holy Spirit is truly moving in a prophetic word. I mean, you guys have felt that, for example, maybe in Brother Benny's prophesying. All of a sudden, you just feel the power of God surge through like that. That's the powers of the age to come. And think about... Things like words of knowledge and words of wisdom. Many times that will connect with healing. But the words of knowledge and words of wisdom, that God brings information. I remember a friend of mine, a preacher, was saying he had had a heart attack and had some heart issues, obviously, from that. And he could only walk a certain distance and all that. And he was watching the 700 Club. And Pat Robertson and them were praying for people. And he said, and there's somebody that's had a heart attack and God's healing you right now. That's a word of knowledge. And he told me he was sitting in his lazy boy. He said, brother, I'm telling you, it felt like somebody just hauled off and punched me right in the chest. But he said, you know what? He said, my heart has never felt better. And he said, now I can walk for miles and not even get winded. See, there was a word of knowledge and healing that came. You see, the healing ministry, healing, if somebody has a gift of healing, laying hands on the sick and they're healed, or words of knowledge and healing, but the healing ministry. And then, of course, faith in the working of miracles. I love these gifts. I'm praying about this, that God really releases in greater measure here. But I remember seeing um, some pretty amazing things. So one time, Rodney Howard Brown's brother, Basil, he was praying for people, and he began to move in that. And God was using him in the gift of faith and the working of miracles.
and we just happened to be there, and he felt that there were some people that had scoliosis. He wanted to pray for them. Well, my wife at that time, her back was crooked to the degree that there was like a crease right here on her side, you know, where it's kind of a fold in the skin because her back was, her spine was crooked. And he had her go up against the wall, and she put, she was kind of cockeyed and put her hand out, and it was like this. And so he's like, if you haven't seen a miracle, you need to come down here. So people are kind of looking, you know. And he's praying, and all of a sudden, it's like her back just straightened, and her hand went out. And got home, and she was like, man, the crease in her back's been straight ever since. But see, that's faith, the work in miracles. I've seen a lot of stuff like that down through the years. But we need these gifts in operation. Amen? All right. So now let me kind of shift gears. The reason I shared that about the powers of the age to come is because of this reason. reason. The religious spirit hates those gifts and wants them stifled. I've seen people that have a strong religious spirit, and they may be very intellectual people, but they really don't know the word as much as they think they do. They only understand what I'm saying here, and I believe you guys will get this. They only understand the Bible in their human intellect, that level of that alone. That's it. But see, there's a much deeper realm where we know the word of God by the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said this. He said, it's better that I go away because the comforter will come and he will teach you. He will lead you in all truth. You see, the Holy Spirit is actually our teacher. He is the author. All scriptures God breathed. The Ruach is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the author. As he moved upon men of old, he wrote it. And the Holy Spirit is the one who lives in us and he teaches us it. When we don't understand something, we can say, Lord, by your Spirit, reveal it, and he'll give us revelation. But it's the Holy Spirit who is our teacher and revealer of Scripture. And I think about John, how he wrote in 1 John, he said, you don't need necessarily that somebody teach you. He's not saying we don't need teachers, because we do. But he's saying the anointing that's in you will teach you all things. See, the anointing in us, the Holy Spirit, he's the one that teaches. And see, religious people, they only function and operate in human intellect, that level. That's why they don't understand the things of the Spirit. And then, because they don't understand it, they'll begin to persecute it and attack it. So now, with that said, let me get into something here that has to do with being led by the Spirit. So prophetic acts, now... This is where I'm going to kind of shift gears to talk about something very different here. But 2 Kings 13, 14, when Elisha, you guys remember Elijah and Elisha? And Elisha was the one that had the double portion, okay? He became sick with the illness of which he was going to die. And Joash, the king of Israel, came down to him and wept over him, saying, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen, because he knew about Elijah and he was thinking that you're leaving, you know. And Elisha said to him, now before I go, he said, take a bow and arrows. And so the king took bows and arrows. And Elisha said to the king of Israel, lay your hand on the bow and arrow. So he did. The king had his hand on the bow, the bow his hand on the arrow. And then Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. 
And he said to him, he said, now open a window and shoot the arrow out toward the east. And so he did, and he shot it. Now, what is it that has to do with this act here? Because then Elisha said to him, that was the Lord's arrow of victory and the arrow of victory over Aram, for you will defeat the Arameans at Aphek until you put an end to them. What is it that that prophetic act of opening a window and shooting an arrow at the word of the prophet released a victory over a secular army. Isn't that weird? But there's some prophetic acts that carry great significance. Are y'all hearing me tonight? And then he goes on to say, now take the arrows and strike them on the ground. And so the king took them and he struck them three times and stopped, probably because being a king he felt kind of silly. And so he only struck him three times. Then the man of God became angry in him and said, you should have struck it five or six times. Then you would have struck Aram until you put an end to him completely. But now you're only going to win three battles. And so that's interesting to me because what I'm talking about tonight is about spiritual warfare. Now I want you to understand that one of the great enemies to the body of Christ is a religious spirit. It's very anti-Holy Spirit, very anti-anointing. And last week we talked about praise, high praise, deep worship, and how it's connected in spiritual warfare, okay? So now I want to take a moment to give you a few things here because there's something about this. There's prophetic acts. I don't understand it, but in the spirit realm, it carries a lot of weight. Now I'm going to get a little controversial and I'm going to talk about something that probably you're not going to hear to me places here, but I want you to bear with me because I believe there's significance. Now, when God created man, he created us in his image. We're a spirit, a soul, and a body. And the spirit within us, we're a triune being, just like God is spirit, son, and father. We are spirit, soul, and body. We're a triune being created in the image of God. Our inner spirit, the Bible says we're created in the image and the likeness. So our inner spirit is the image of God. Our soul area is the likeness, like unto God. So the image, the spirit, God is spirit. Those that worship, worship in spirit. That's the part of us in the image of God is our inner spirit. And when we get saved, that's where the Holy Spirit dwells is in our spirit. And then the soul area, your intellect, your emotions, your personality, that part of you is in likeness of God, okay? And the reason why that's significant with what I'm talking about is because of this reason. When Lucifer fell, he's an angel. He's a anointed. He was an anointed cherub that covered, a cherubim, Okay. I believe the four living creatures and the cherubim are all the same creatures. They have to do with guarding God's holiness and his throne. They're around the throne. And there's four living creatures. At one time, Lucifer was the fifth, <clears throat> and he probably led worship. But these four living creatures, when he fell, he, is an anoint he was an anointed cherub that, that covered the throne. He fell to the earth. And so he's an angel, he's not human. Why is that significant? Because when God created us in his image, we have a dimension to us 
that God is a creator and he's given us an imagination and there is a creative quality to us. How many of you guys have ever come up with something before, some creative idea or some people come up with inventions, people write songs and poetry. There, there's a creativeness about humanity. And that's from God. That's being made in the image and likeness of God. Now, angels don't have that. So why am I sharing that? Because Satan does not create things. What he does is he takes the things of God and he perverts them unto himself. It's very important. Now, it was interesting. This is kind of a side note about that. One time a young lady was telling me about Satanism and all that stuff, and she said, well, isn't it interesting that people that worship Satan, she said that they don't spend any time having some anti-Buddhist or anti-Hindu or anti-Islam, anything. She said everything is about turning the cross upside down or reading the Bible backwards or profaning communion. It's all against Jesus Christ, that right there. So Satan doesn't have the ability to create. What he does is he perverts the things of God. Now, the reason I'm saying that is because some things I'm going to share tonight that's important. And so when we talk about high praise, the devil doesn't want you guys to know this. We talked about really high praise last week, singing, shouting, dancing, clapping, lifting hands, all of that. There's something about that. There's many, many times that in church service here, services I've been in, that there's something about the anointing getting on the praise team. It gets in the rhythm. It gets in the sounds. There's, there's high praise. It feels electric. You know what I'm talking about. It's powerful, powerful praise. And in that time, you get into that flow, the sounds of heaven. There's a high praise. And in that, it moves into worship and it moves into powerful prayer. And there's faith that's spoken. There may be gifts in operation. There's powerful prayers that are prayed. And there's so much authority and power in that. It's like the harmony, the symphony of God by the Spirit, okay, the incense of praise and worship, prayer and intercession, the mixture that goes up before God and it releases the power of God pushing back the darkness. Well, Satan has his evil, satanic, perverted counterfeits to this. If you notice that, especially in ethnic groups like in African witchcraft or Native American rituals, etc., have you noticed that they'll have some kind of like a fire and they'll have the rhythmic incantation drum beats and they start dancing in that rhythmic thing around the fire to their demon gods and you know what that that's a perverted counterfeit to what true christianity is doing you see that's satan not creating something that's satan taking the power of something and perverting it unto himself but there is a power in that as a matter of fact Derek prince was saying one time some some guy that was a male witch or whatever was talking to him and Derek said, let me just preface this by saying this guy has no credibility with me and I don't believe anything he says, <laughs> okay? But he said, the guy told him, said, you know what the most potent form of witchcraft is? And it has to do with incantations. And what incantations is a mixture a lot of times of uh, those rhythmic drum beats, those, the singing, the chanting and all of that, you see? And Derek said this, he said, even though this guy has no credibility, he says it goes to show that Satan's counterfeit, the most potent form 
of witchcraft had to do with the mixture of music and witchcraft, and it released something that was very potent. He said it goes to show the power of what we're doing that's actually of God. You see, does that make sense? And he was saying also the power is their chanting that's supposedly so powerful, and sometimes it is, the power of singing and praising in the Spirit. You see? So there's something to the high praise and the song, the praise and worship, the prayer and intercession. When it's Spirit-led and people are really caught up in the things of the Spirit and people are dancing, there's something so powerful in that. It releases something in the Spirit realm. Just like Elisha, I hope everybody's getting this tonight. Just like Elisha said, look, open the window, shoot the arrow. There's a victory there. I'm telling you, every time that God smites the enemy is to the sound of music. So as we're moving in praise and worship and prayer and intercession, and people are are releasing that together in unity, it's spirit-led, and there's somebody that begins to take authority over the enemy or whatever, there's so much power in that to drive back the tides of darkness and release the things of God. I believe that it releases holy angels on assignment and it destroys the works of Satan and it binds up demonic forces. There's something to this. And so I want you to think about a couple things I'm just going to read over and leave you with this. But prophetic acts, there's times that God, the Holy Spirit, will lead us to do something by the Spirit and it has tremendous power in it. I know that there was a time, I remember at the Brownsville Revival, kind of a famous service where you had all these thousands of people, a lot of visitors and a lot of lost people, but at some point, Lyndall felt led to do this Jericho march, man. They're marching around the facility. There was another time that they left the building. And Lyndall's out there going along, I think with his tambourine. They left the building. But see, when you're led by the Spirit, why did the Holy Spirit have him do that? Because it was releasing something. As you're led by the Spirit, the walls of Jericho came down when they did these things. And I remember also learning this through Brownsville, but there's something so powerful when we go to the north, south, east, and west. When you're led by the Spirit to do it, and people are lifting their hands to the, let's say, to the east, and we're, we're in praise and worship, and the Holy Spirit's leading it. And we begin to take authority toward the east, that we bind the enemy, and he will release what God wants to come forth in the east, you see? And that has tremendous power. I believe that God sends angels, and I believe the enemy is bound when we're doing that. It's awesome. So there's something about these prophetic acts, and you, God may lead you to do something that would seem in the natural foolish to the king, It seemed foolish to strike the arrows on the ground, didn't it? Wouldn't it to you if a prophet came up to you and handed you an arrow and said, start striking the ground, buddy? How would you feel? You would feel, well, this seems kind of silly. But yet God was in it, and if he would have kept striking that ground, he would have completely destroyed the enemy. It was something that was going to be accomplished in the spiritual first, and then when he went into the physical battle, he would have saw the result of it. Why is it that Moses had his hands up and Joshua was winning the battle? But when his hands came down, he wasn't. There was something in the spiritual being fought with Moses' hands up that was affecting the natural battle. It was almost like a prophetic act, if you will, that God led Moses to do that. 
In the natural, it seems silly, but yet it had tremendous power in it. Just like shoot the arrow out the window. <laughs> so these prophetic acts, if they're led by God and they're real, they're very powerful. Now think about the shofar blast. What a powerful weapon of war when it's spirit-led. Sometimes it's not, and it's just annoying. <laughs> but when it's spirit-led, it's really God, and God's in it. And the shofar is blasted. Tremendous power. I remember that, at the, again, at the Brownsville Revival, there was these powerful prayer meetings on Tuesday night. And in the early years, there was to get that thing going, I mean, Steve used to say as it would go on Tuesday night prayer meetings would be how it affected the whole rest of the week. So they considered the Tuesday night prayer meetings of great significance. And people came there serious. They didn't come there to play games or socialize. They came there to pray. And so as people would come in, and they took it real serious. They were making sure things were right with them and God. They would enter into praise and worship and powerful prayer. In those early years, Dick Rubin blasting that shofar. And something about that released warfare that brought the enemy down and released what God wanted to do, and the harvest yielded, you see. You know as well as I do that God was in that rock that David threw. You know as well as I do how big Goliath was and how little David was. And if David launched that rock against him, that by all accounts, the fact that David actually hit him right between the eyes, but not only that, but the fact that it killed him. I mean, probably as big as he was, as powerful as Goliath really was, under normal circumstances, a little guy throwing a rock at him probably wouldn't have killed him. I mean, come on. But God was in the rock, you see. When you do prophetic, when you do these things by the Spirit, God has led David to do that. And when David threw that rock, you know that the Holy Spirit was in that, and it went harder and faster and was more precise, and it took down that giant. There's something about being led by God and doing things that God said to do that releases tremendous power. And as I've said many times, there's this symphony of harmony as we come in agreement, deep intercession. I talked about last week, wherever the soles of your feet tread, there's something about that. I remember hearing a story, I never forgot, David Hogan has had to go into some difficult places in the jungles of Mexico. This isn't really to the Mexicans. God released David out in the jungles, and he's dealing with Indians that have lived out there for thousands of years that their ancestors was Aztec and Mayan and Incan Indians, with all those ruins that we see out there. And so David's out there, and he, God just threw it, baptized him in fire and threw him out in the jungle. It's expected him to bear fruit. <laughs> and so David learned how to pray and fast. Amen. When you get out there in territory that has never, ever been, the gospel's been brought there, he was dealing with very ancient principalities and powers and generational witch doctors and shamans, etc., and some pretty potent stuff. But David got out there, and he said this. He said that he would, after God really began to move in his ministry, he said that he would go into an area, and he would preach the gospel. He would go into a little village or something, and he said it seemed like every time he did this, 
that he would end up without trying to, but like the soles of his feet would walk through the entire village before he left the thing. And he said that he realized later on that God was doing that because he was giving him everywhere the soles of his feet treaded. And many times it would be a major miracle that would open up the gospel because he would go in there and say, he knew that these people wouldn't listen to him under normal circumstances. And it was like, is somebody sick? Is somebody need healing? And, and there's so many stories he has. I mean, just picking one out of literally thousands. But this woman had had a huge tumor like a basketball in her stomach. And, and he said he prayed for her. And God totally healed her. And, and so the, the family got saved and, and it opened things up for that whole territory. So there's something about these prayer walks. When God is in it and God tells you to do it, I've heard many times, you know, my friend Sergio up here said that him and his group, they would walk right around here for years and go through prayer walks because he said down through the years in the late 90s, early 2000s, he said there was a couple times right here in this region, about a mile away, there was a couple times where there was some witchcraft that tried to come in. There would be like psychics or palm readers or whatever. And he said that their prayer, prayer team would go out there and begin to walk the streets and pray and take authority over it. In Jesus' name, you're not bringing witchcraft into our territory. We bind you and we command it leaves. And he said it wouldn't be long that it would begin to shut down and they'd be gone. You see, prayer walks. You get out everywhere the soles of your feet tread, God will give you. But you have to be led by the Spirit. I remember Henry Malone has a really good book, Portals to Cleansing, talking about cleansing home and homes and land. Very important. And he said that one of the things that he learned to do, and I really agree with this as being very powerful, is sometimes you get into a really difficult land, really difficult homes to cleanse for whatever reason. But I'll tell you something, the power of the blood of Jesus. He said that he's, he learned, and I agree with this, to take communion with the family because there's no point praying with them if they're not going to accept Jesus anyway for their home to be cleansed, you know. But anyway, if you're dealing with Christians here, you can come together and pray, take communion together, and then he said either, you know, take a shovel or something, open it up, and you can put some of the bread and pour out some of the juice. But it's just a prophetic act that you're releasing the power of the blood of Jesus into that property. And he said, it is awesome. Let me tell you, I agree with that. We've had some very stubborn times when it was difficult to get a breakthrough. But once the blood of Jesus hits that soil, it breaks the power of the enemy. You see these prophetic acts. What is it about anointing rooms with oil? What is it? But there's something about it that releases the power of God and drives out the enemy. As you go through a home and anoint the rooms and you, you take communion together, these things have power, okay? So I'm dealing with spiritual warfare, and I would just say to River of Life, even tonight, I feel that we need to get refocused, but I also feel that I'm directly coming up against a spirit as I'm preaching to you tonight, and I normally don't feel that here. Something is not wanting you to get this information, number one. Number two, this religious spirit I'm talking about hates when I'm preaching and wants you to not be focused. And so I would just encourage River of Life, like never before, to ask God to help you get refocused. How is your personal prayer life? How is your, um, your time in the Word? Are you witnessing like you used to? How's the focus? 
see. This religious spirit in our region is no joke. And if you're not careful, it causes people to backslide and they don't even know they're doing it. It's like they don't mean to, but something comes over them that causes them to not really be able to receive in church. They even sleep sometimes. They just can't handle it. Something comes over people that lulls them into some place where they're not able to receive what God wants them to receive. It's a religious, it's religious witchcraft. <clears throat> so living that strong prayer life, and let me encourage you that something that helped me, I'm just going to give you this as I close. Something that's really helped me on a personal level is if you can make the time to spend every day praying some in the spirit because we're living in these latter days. And um, hold on, <coughs> excuse me. Had to clear my throat there. But as Brother John called me one time, and he was really, the anointing was just really strong on him. He had been spending time in prayer all morning. And Brother John was talking to me. He said, let me tell you, Scott, he said, as you're spending time in prayer, let me tell you how to do this. He said, you need to spend some time for a couple hours just praying in the Spirit. He said, eventually that will roll over into really powerful prayer. But he said that praying in the Spirit. Now, he has time to do. Not everybody has that much time, and I understand that. But make time to pray in the Spirit every day. And I remember Perry Stone said that his father, who was very prophetic, said that the Lord told him <clears throat> that before Jesus comes, that warfare would be so severe at times that he told his son Perry, he said, listen, he said, I won't be around to see it, and he wasn't. But he said, Perry, you're obviously going to outlive me. And he said, there's going to be a time when warfare is going to be so severe in the earth, and there's going to be times that certain Christians will feel such severe warfare against them. He said that it's really important that they get away with God and they let the Holy Spirit really pray through them in the Spirit to really get on the other side of it. And he said this, I'll never forget this. He said, if they don't do that, he said they may have a very difficult time coming out from under that warfare because it'll be so severe. That's interesting. So there's something when Paul said he's given us these, uh, uh, you know, the armor of God, the last one is praying in the spirit on all occasions. So there's something about praying in the spirit. So I try to spend some time before I actually get into prayer of just praying in tongues for a little while because it strengthens your faith. It, it gets you in tune with God. It builds up your, most, your inner man and your most holy faith. But it strengthens, it sharpens you. It sharpens your discernment. It gets you so in tune. And then you move from that into a powerful time of prayer, which I've taught on this so much, but coming through the blood of Jesus. For example, the communion table, powerful. Entering into praise and worship on your own. Praise, thanksgiving, worship. And when you really enter in with thanksgiving and praise, you're not going to be somebody that's a grumbler and a complainer and negative and whiny and all. And I'll tell you something, it's a turnoff. It's a turnoff to the Lord. But it's even a turnoff to people. That are, how many like being around whiny, complainy people? Isn't that your favorite people to be around, right? You imagine how much the Lord has to put up with that in heaven, right? I mean, he's probably got so many whiny people coming to him every day. 
But when you come in, I'll tell you how to get answered prayers. Come through the blood, know who you are in faith and enter his gates with thanksgiving. Don't be discontented. Don't be a grumbler and a complainer. That can release the destroyer. Don't do that. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. And see, when you enter in with thanksgiving and praise, something breaks off you and you begin to move into the joy of the Lord, which is your strength, and then enter into some worship. And when you get in that place, then you can really begin to be led to pray. Pray for your lost loved ones. Pray for our nation. Pray for revival, et cetera, et cetera. Just pray for your neighbors, your coworkers, and, and follow the Lord's pattern. Your kingdom come will be done. That's praying over all these different things. And he said, give us our daily bread. The Lord knows we need things. Be specific. And Dr. Cho said he was praying for a bike one time. I think it was a bike. Is that right? You guys know? Okay. Dr. Cho is awesome. If you want to learn how to pray, find Dr. Cho's books and find his YouTube videos, okay? But Dr. Cho said one time he was praying for a bicycle. Needed a bike. He needed it, man. He was, he was like praying for a long time. He said, Lord, finally he got frustrated and said, Lord, I've been praying for a bike. I need it. Why aren't you giving me a bicycle? And the Lord said, well, you, which bike do you want? And the Lord told him that. He said, which one do you want? And he said, well, I never thought about being specific. And he said, Lord, okay, I need, I need this specific bike. And you know what? He had it within a very short amount of time. There's something about being specific. And so pray about your needs, but pray specifically. And then he said, forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. Make sure you walk in forgiveness in a right attitude, a right spirit. And then lead us not into temptation. That's not the best translation. But it's talking about not being led astray, not being giddy. Lord, keep me from these things. Keep me from these temptations. And does that make sense? Because the way it's worded, it makes it sound like God would lead you into being tempted. That's not what it's saying there is, Lord, help me to not fall into temptation and, and be deceived by the devil or, or seduced by the world or swept away into some kind of weird thing. You know, Lord, keep me. That's what it's saying there. And then the last one is deliver us from the evil one, deliver us from evil. And so there's something about that. I like to quote Psalm 91, but there's a pattern. And I'm telling you guys, how's our personal prayer lives? If we begin to pray in the Spirit every day, as we have a strong prayer life, I promise you the enemy is not going to be able to do a lot of things he wants to do. And we have authority. Another thing I would say as I'm closing out is this. Use your authority. I think that a lot of times people put up with too much stuff. Whenever the enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy, don't sit around having a pity party and agree with him. Start rising up and taking authority and quit putting up with it. If you see that your kids, I'll tell you a story. So God really finally saved this guy. Some of you may be familiar with Nathan Morris and his ministry, and he's doing a lot of stuff overseas and, and doing, you know, winning souls. It's awesome. But what people don't know is he's a pastor's son, and he had backslid, and he was living, shacked up with some girl away from God. But every day, hear what I'm saying? Every day, every morning, his dad was praying for him. And listen to what he was saying. He was saying, Satan, I bind you. You will not have my son. You will release him. I will not put up with this. I bind you in Jesus' name. Whatever is attacking him, you will be bound and you will release him in the name of Jesus. And listen, not only did God save that young man, but has used him to lead many to Jesus. 
You never know who you're praying for. And listen, many people say it's a good example. You can open an apple and count the seeds, okay? But you never know how many apples are actually going to result from a seed. Once you bury that seed, who knows how many apples? Once you pray somebody into the kingdom, who knows how far that's going to go and how many people they're going to win to the Lord? You know, somebody may say, I don't know if this is true, but somebody said one time that, some, that this guy led uh, Billy Graham to the Lord, and I think they said he was the only person that he ever led to the Lord. But man, how many knows that that, that seed produced a lot of other uh, great harvest, you see? So anyway, there's something about taking authority over the enemy. Don't put up with it. If the enemy is assailing your mind with depression and discouragement and heaviness and trying to get you to be negative, bind that spirit of heaviness and command it to leave. If everything in you wants to be negative with your mouth, we've got to learn to have some kind of self-control and discipline ourselves that we start, you know what will stop that? is when you start doing stuff like this. The enemy wants you to really be upset and start speaking stuff, right? Here's what's going to stop that. When you start saying things like this, Lord, I thank you that you're going to do this. You're going to do, you promised me this. This is in the word and it says this. I thank you, Lord. And as you begin to praise and thank God and speak his word and the defeat of Satan and all the things God's going to do and all this, man, the enemy's like, shut him up. The opposite just happened right here of what I wanted. Just leave him alone. He's, he's, he's doing the wrong thing. So that I'm, t- I'm telling you from experience that the devil, he'll learn to quit messing with you when you start doing stuff like that. And how many knows we need to know the word of God and quote the word? Every week I try to get up here and, and take communion with you guys as we come together and speak the word. You know what's happening? Faith comes by hearing the word. You don't even realize it, but I promise you that that every week that's going in your ears, it's getting in your spirit every week, every week, and it's beginning to build up faith in you to believe God for those things. And another thing is use the name of Jesus. Don't just say, get out of here. You need to say, I command in the name of Jesus. You're going to do this and the other, and they will bow to the name of Jesus. They may not bow to your name, but when you use Jesus' name, they tremble, I promise you. They're more scared of you than what you think a lot of times. The thing is that a lot of Christians really don't realize what they have in Christ. It's not that they're scared of you as a person, because who are you? They're scared of the authority that's invested in Christians because of Jesus. That's what they're scared of. They're scared of the fact that if you really know who you are and what you have, if you know the authority invested in you and you have faith, they're scared of that. And they, they get real nervous around those type of Christians because they know those type of Christians know how to take authority over them. You need a fresh anointing on your life. Man, there's been times that I've been going through some really difficult times. I mean, some tremendous warfare, oppression, heaviness, difficulty, And I had to just go and praise God and have the Lord touch me powerfully. And man, I'm telling you, there's been times that I was really going through it, but I went to the house of the Lord and God met me there. How many have experienced that by chance? Not just me. How many were really going through a difficult time? You felt really oppressed, heavy, and you came to church and you entered in anyway and God touched you real powerful 
and you came out of church and you felt so different than you did coming in. How many have felt that? Because I have. Even as a pastor here in this church, there's been times I was going through warfare and the enemy was really resisting me, but I got in here in the house of God in his presence. There's something about a fresh anointing on our lives. And let me just say this and then we're going to pray. Live under the glory. Be careful. And let me just warn you, as this is the last thing I want to say, but I want you to hear this. Be careful. I'm not going to teach on this, but there's this spiral downward that Lester Summerall taught, and then a lot of people got a hold of it and have taught it through the years. And it's this thing about regression, and it's all the way down to possession, but it's this pattern. And the very first thing in that is regression. And you know what that is? That's basically where you begin to go backward. And let me just really warn you guys to really guard yourself. Because I want everybody that's listening to this, that's listening to this by podcast, you're watching this on Vimeo, whatever, I want you to please hear this and don't just, you know, get distracted. I want everybody to please hear what I'm saying. I saw for myself, when I was put powerfully touched in the 90s revivals, I saw many people powerfully touched. And in that time, the fires of revival were raging, and everybody was on fire. Everybody was, you know, hungry. And I've seen something happen to a lot of people that were powerfully touched. See, when, when regression starts happening, God creates us like the hull of a boat, like this, a V-shape in the front of a boat, that to break through the waves of resistance. And the back of the boat's flat. You're not made to go back. You're made to go forward, forward progression. But I saw people that began to lose their godly convictions. And they began to regress. And they, they lost that hunger and that passion. I mean, there was, I know people right now that would have drove in 1998, 1999, would have drove from here in Dallas, right where I'm at right now, would have drove 12 to 14 hours or so, however long it was, to get to Pensacola, stay for a week, pay all the money to get a hotel and everything else, stand in line in the heat of Florida summer all day to go in and receive a touch from God. You can't even get them now. They don't even live far from here. You can't get them to drive 15 minutes. To a, I can have people come in here that are really anointed, like Brother John, I mean, really carry it. I can have them come in, announce it. They won't even drive 15 minutes to something that's free. What happened? Regression. At the same time, they start losing their godly convictions. Now, the things that they used to not watch on TV or movies or whatever... They now have regressed where it's not a big deal. All oh, this GD and MF and all this stuff or this nudity and this, ah, it's not that big a deal. It is. You just don't think it is anymore. It's not that God changed, you changed. Now you've regressed and you're comfortable with things that you shouldn't be comfortable with. See, I hate that stuff. You can't control every little thing. Something pops up sometimes. I know that. God knows that. But listen, we've got to be selective. So be careful because when people begin to regress, all of a sudden, the old friends they used to hang around, they start hanging around them again. The old conversations they used to have with the, 
the ungodly conversations, the language, the jokes, the things they used to do, they start doing that again. The things they used to do, like, for example, maybe drinking, smoking cigarettes, going to clubs, hanging out at certain... All of a sudden, they start kind of doing a little bit of that. What's happening to them? They're backsliding. They're regressing. You have to really guard yourself because it's very easy to regress and not realize it. All of a sudden, your prayer life isn't what it used to be. See, I try to constantly catch myself. Is my prayer life right now like it used to be, like it needs to be? That's where it really starts, right there. How's my praise and worship? Am I being a witness to people? And I really examine myself. I encourage you to do the same. You know, are my godly convictions still there? Am I still guarding myself? I don't want to get desensitized and comfortable with the things of this world that bother God. And now, it, because I'm desensitized, it doesn't bother me anymore. That's scary because it happens to a lot of people. And so just guard yourself. Be careful. Don't lose it because once you lose that, a lot of times people don't even realize that they've lost it. And then pretty soon it goes from that regression down and like I think the word was repressed. I don't have my notes in front of me. But pretty soon they stop. The, the joy of the Lord is gone. They used to really enter into praise. Now they just sit there. And they, they used to really get into the sermons and now they're just kind of, bored or whatever. Something has happened. They've regressed back, and now something is suppressing them in life. It's pushing them down. And pretty soon, if they're not careful, they're going to be depressed and defeated and not bearing fruit, you see. And so I'm just, I'm warning you because I've seen it happen to many. I've seen it happen to individuals I've seen it happen to families, and I've seen it happen to whole churches. Where they once were in the fires of revival, and now they're not at all. It's dead. What happened? All I know is, is that if we'll keep our edge, to the day I die, I want to keep like razor's edge. I want to keep my edge. I don't want to lose. I don't want to get dull and get desensitized. And I know the only way to do that is to stay close to the Lord in prayer, to have fasting in your life, to keep the praise in your life, to stay in God's house, to stay around. Steve Hill used to say, I don't hang around anybody that's not on fire. That's good advice. So, Lord, I thank you for tonight. I thank you for hearing us in the prayers over this service. I thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. Let this be sealed in us in Jesus' name. Help us, Lord, to keep the fires burning. Amen.